0: Let's get here into Psalm chapter 80 tonight. Uh, We come to another Psalm of Asaph, and let's just read the introduction to the Psalm. It says, to the chief musician set to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a Psalm. And it's interesting how some of these Psalms have, you know what, long introductions, some go into detail, some don't have any introduction, and then you get ones like this that maybe it's in the medium range, you know what? Many of these will say to the chief musician. And it's a reminder to us that these psalms were meant to be sung. They were meant to be prayed. And you know what? Absolutely, we should be doing that. We should sing the scriptures to the Lord. We should pray the scriptures to the Lord. These are prayers and songs that absolutely we can pray mightily in Jesus' name, knowing we're praying in the Spirit as the Holy Spirit moved upon men to pen the scriptures. We see there's practical instruction given to the worship leader, the chief musician, and, and they're told that this is to be sung uh, to the lilies, which would be a musical accompaniment that some of the other psalms were sung to as well. And it's just one of those little ways that we see that, you know, God's a God of order. And, you know, these psalms were again written out. And then there was music that God gave to, you know, let go with, uh, you know, at the the songs that were sung in the psalms. And I'm reminded there of... a. Uh, In the scripture, where it talks about prophesying with instruments, and this past Sunday we talked about prophecy in our study in Acts, and how God wants us all to pray for the gift of prophecy because when we prophesy or speak God's word with, you know, an authority or a boldness, men are edified and they're comforted and they're exhorted, and the gospel goes forth with an unction that penetrates hearts. And it's interesting there it would talk about in the Old Testament prophesying with instruments. And that just shows there that, listen, music can be used, unfortunately, for evil, but it can be used for great good, for glorifying God and honoring the Lord and doing that in a prophetic manner to his glory. And so we see that instruction given. And then again, we see it's another Psalm of Asaph. And some of these songs were written by Asaph, others by his children. We know that there's 12 of them. And we've talked a lot about Asaph and even the impact that he made on his children and the future generations in his family. And I like to remind us of that as we're going through this, because I think it gives us insight, you know, and in our desire to parent our children and raise them in the way of the Lord and make an impact on the next generation. This is a man that we can look at and see how God worked in his life, and we can learn from his prayers and absolutely from his actions and so forth. Good counsel for us to walk in, And as he says here, this is a psalm. Uh, it's a testimony. It's a psalm. Uh, it's a witness again to who our God is, a testimony to who our God is. And it's also a prayer. This psalm really is a prayer, and it's a prayer for deliverance on behalf of Israel. We'll see that Israel was in a time of uh, oppression. We could guess of when that time is. We're not going to do that tonight because we know there were several times in the Old Testament where Israel was in a place where they were uh, oppressed, and it seems. Uh, that that's the case this time because of you know, their sin and so forth. and we see even a crying out of this for the Lord to shine his face upon them. And absolutely, when that wasn't the case, it's not because God wasn't wanting to shine his face upon them. It's really because they had turned their back or their countenance from the Lord himself. So we'll keep that in mind as we'll see it coming up many times in the psalm, this prayer for the Lord to shine his face upon the nation. And it's something that really we should want every day in our own lives to have the Lord shining upon us for us to be found walking in the light of the Lord. So let's get into the Psalm here. We'll read a verse or two at a time and go through this and hopefully get greatly ministered to tonight and just receive what the Lord has for us. So he says here, give ear, O Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. And it's interesting because once again, we see Asaph, and again, 12 psalms have his name or his children's name upon them. And several of these psalms, you know at are prayers crying out to the Lord for help. And so again, once again, we see Asaph crying out to the Lord for help. There's not just one psalm of him crying out to the Lord for help or just, you know what, one mention in one of the psalms of saying, hey, Lord, we need you. But you see it continually in these psalms an ongoing crying out for the Lord's intervention, for the Lord's hand to go forth, for the Lord to intervene. And listen, this is God telling us and reminding us that we should be be a people as well that are crying out to the Lord, not just in big things, not just when our life gets disrupted or our course of life gets disrupted, but in all things. Listen, the Lord encourages us to cry out to Him continually. We're told in the scriptures, in fact, to pray without ceasing, that it's God's will for us that we'd be a people who pray without ceasing. We're told to cast our cares upon him, knowing he cares for us. And we're not told there, you know, just the big cares, but don't disturb God with the small cares, but we're told to cast all our cares upon him, whether they be small, whether they be large. And then we're told there, and I think this is a fitting reminder for us tonight in Philippians 4, 6, it says be anxious for nothing. And I think that's very fitting because I think we're in a time right now where there's a lot of folks that are struggling struggling with anxiety. And they're getting into a place where, you know what, instead of each day just being thankful and getting their eyes upon the Lord and praying that day, they're in a place of being very anxious about tomorrow. And the Lord really encourages us not to worry about tomorrow, but to seek Him each day. And so we're told in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, but notice, but in everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and this is key, with thanksgiving. So we bring everything before the Lord in prayer and thanksgiving, and he says, let your requests be made known to God, and then notice the wonderful promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, and tonight, as you're listening to this, or perhaps at a you know, at later date, if there's anxiety in your heart, listen, you need to be encouraged to bring those things before the Lord. Absolutely, to cast them upon God. To begin to count your blessings and give thanks to the Lord. And let the Lord shine His face upon you and bring a fresh peace that can only come from Him. And to guard your hearts and minds. Listen, our hearts and minds can go off in all kinds of craziness when we start leaning on our own understanding, and we're told not to do that in the Proverbs, but instead to acknowledge God in all our ways. It'll make our path straight. And you see Asaph once again crying out to the Lord, crying out in the midst of his anxieties and the anxieties that had come upon the nation of Israel and the oppression that came upon them. And listen, as the psalm unfolds, you'll see the peace of God Coming upon Asaph, as so many of these Psalms do, towards the end, the tone moves from crying out to God to knowing God has heard their cries and God will be faithful to them. And absolutely, we have those promises in Christ Jesus tonight. Also, as we go through this Psalm, again, he says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock. We see that, listen, in crying out to the Lord, he's really crying out. He's not just mentioning the going-ons there in Israel to God. And I think this is so important to us. You know what? There's times when we can just mention our anxieties to God or we can just mention our cares to God or, you know what, we we mention them to God, but we're really putting more hope in our hand or the hand of man going forth to minister to the situation. And we really got to make sure that we're not falling into that trap. We want to make sure as Asaph is doing here that we're not just a people mentioning the issues to God but instead we're really crying out to him because listen there's a difference between the two and you see throughout the scriptures different times when men or women really cried out to God versus just mentioning things to God or just casually bringing things to God looking to God just as another help in the situation versus being God Almighty who at his word can change any and all situations As I thought about that I thought about the the widow there in Luke chapter 18 and she is a woman that has a situation and she knows that practically and this is an illustration that the Lord gives practically the only person who can help her was an earthly judge. And the Lord uses this earthly illustration to teach us how we should pray. Let's just read it in Luke 18.1. It says, Jesus spoke a parable to them. Again, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He spoke this parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. So Lord encouraging us there, again, to always pray to not lose heart, and how many times we lose heart because we're not praying, or we pray, but not with a fervency, really praying with the dependence upon God and faith in God, knowing that he is God. So the Lord tells us, listen, not to faint, not to lose heart, but instead to be a people to pray who always pray. And then he gives the parable here. He's saying, "There there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man, Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, Though I don't fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, will the son of man, when he comes, really find faith upon the earth. Now listen, this isn't a commentary about God being an unjust judge. That's not what this is about. This is about the widow, again, an earthly story, recognizing she needed a judge to intervene in her situation for the situation to change. And so she pursued this guy day after day after day though he did not fear God nor have regard for man, and in her pursuit of him, he finally gave in. Listen, the illustration is here for us to be a people like her when it comes to God, knowing that we do have a just God, and we, have a, we have a God who has regard for us, and that he sent his son to die for us. And God wants us to pray in that manner, seeking God first and foremost, crying out to God, as Asaph says here, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Lord, hear my prayers. I know you can do something about the situation. You're your God Almighty. You know all the details of the situation. And I'm going to pray out to you, call out to you, and seek you first and foremost, knowing that you are God Almighty. Listen, that's called fervent prayer in the scripture. And in James, it says, James 5.16, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's a fervency, and the Lord's telling us to pray in that way. And again, you see Asaph in so many of the Psalms crying out to God. I think as well, you know, the opposite side of this. And this is an account in the Old Testament that, you know what, a few people are probably familiar with, but many aren't. I'll kind of just break it down in 2 Kings 13. uh, Elisha, not Elijah, is near the end of his life, and Joash is the king of Israel, and Elisha and Joash have a conversation. And Elisha tells King Joash that he'll be at war again with the Syrians, the enemies of God. And he gives him an instruction that really is a picture of prayer to do this. And in doing this, you'll have victory over those enemies. He tells them in 2 Kings verse 13... Or, or chapter 13, excuse me, and verse 17, uh, he said, open the east window, and he opened, and Elijah said, shoot, and he shot an arrow, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from uh, Sy- uh, Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphex until you have destroyed them, and then he gives them this instruction, then he said, take the arrow, so he took them, And he said to the king of Israel, strike it on the ground. So he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with them and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And this is really a picture of prayer. This was a picture of calling out to God. He said, here's the arrow of deliverance. Now strike the ground. And as you strike the ground, you're going to have victory. And he took it. And it's really a picture of him tapping it on the ground three times and kind of throwing it to the side. And he says, you should have taken that thing and walled the ground five or six times. And I think this is a picture of us oftentimes where we pray about a situation three or, t- three or four times, maybe a week or in a month versus saying, listen, five or six times a day, I need to bring this before the Lord five or six times an hour, I need to bring this before the Lord. I need to recognize who my God is and cry out, oh Lord, have ear. And I'm going to keep praying about it until I know God has taken it from me. And I know that again, I've cast it upon the Lord. I know in my life, the Lord's been teaching me, you know, with certain situations. And I thank God for this. And this is where good things come out of trials. That when trials come up, I got an option to begin to Think about how I'm going to respond to that trial, and there's a place for that. But he's really shown me that, listen, when those things are going on, whether maybe it's something that someone I love is going through, or someone who I love is sick, or perhaps it is, you know, just someone who I know of who's sick, or a situation in the world or whatever, that when those things come to my mind, the first thing that I need to do is pray. And even if it's a simple of, Lord, I want to bring this before you again. Lord, I want to pray for healing for this person again. And above everything else, first and foremost, just bringing that to the Lord, first and foremost, Lord, I know there's things, and I know sometimes you get practical wisdom, and I want that, but first and foremost, Lord, I bring it before you. And I can't tell you how many times in doing that, that I've seen a breakthrough in the Lord come and work a and move. And I, and I know it's not me, it's not my prayers, but it's who I'm praying to, And God honoring his word because God honors his word. And when he says the effect of fervent man of prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Indeed they do. And praise God the righteousness isn't mine. But the righteousness is has been given to me through the work of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. We have right standing with God the Father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we can boldly come before him in our time of need and cast our cares upon him. And indeed, he helps us and he aids us and he goes before us. And so again, give have Eero, shepherd of Israel. We'll, we'll get going a little faster here. I know that You know, that's a long time on the first word here. But that was on my heart tonight. And I I want to be obedient to share that. And I hope it's an encouragement to all of us. You guys listening, it's an encouragement to me that let's be a people that, again, cry out continually and cry out fervently. And, again, it's a picture of us hitting that arrow five, six times an hour or whatever it needs to cry out to God, knowing He's God. Listen, our faith's fully being Him above everything else. He is God. And then he says here you lead Joseph like a flock. And indeed, he had led the patriarch Joseph like a flock. He was Joseph's shepherd. And you think about Joseph's life there in Genesis, where Joseph was a young man with a high call in his life. God gave him you know, prophetic dreams as a young man when he shared those with those around them. They didn't like that. A lot of times people don't like it when you share with them. You know what? God's word, and God had given him his word there in those dreams, we know that eventually his brothers sold him into slavery. And some would say, oh wow, where was God in that? God led Joseph like a flock, and God led him to be sold into slavery? I see right now a lot of people angry with God. If God is who he is, why can't he cure a cold? Listen, God's done more than that. Man chose sin Man chose death in the garden when he said, I'll do my own thing. And we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Yet, despite that, God sent his son Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, who died for our sins and rose from the grave to defeat the greatest disease out there, sin and the wages of it, that is death and the second hell, the salvation could be afforded to us through him. And listen, when trials like this go on, it's easy to shake your fist at God, but you've got to understand. That God allows such things and hopes that men would grow up for him. And absolutely that those who know him would be shaped and set up for what God has next. Because see, God needed to move Joseph from where he was there in Canaan down to Egypt. Because God, in his foreknowledge, knew a famine would come upon the land. And if Israel stayed there in Canaan, they would perish. And they would need to be brought down to Egypt. We know he led them into slavery. And absolutely, he allowed the false accusations come against it to Joseph, the dead, allowed him to go into prison, but also continued to absolutely assure him and go before him and all that and provide for all his needs. And then when Pharaoh had those disturbing dreams about the cows and the corn, you can read about them there in Genesis, no one could interpret those dreams. But God has strategically, through trials and through things that would make many people angry and shake their fists to God, put them in a place where he could interpret those dreams and absolutely tell Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. This is what you should do. From there, the Lord advanced them to a high place there in Egypt. And we know eventually, Jacob and his brothers came looking for provisions And God would use Joseph and the great trial to spare Israel. He went before Joseph like a shepherd. And sometimes, listen, to lead us into one green pasture to the other, there's some rocky roads to go through. But our shepherd will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we got to remember that the Lord allowed that to happen to Joseph to spare Israel. And we know eventually out of Israel who would come, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's so important that when we're going through trials, we're going through difficulties, that we don't do like the world does and shake our fist to God and say, God, where are you? Listen, if he's your Lord and Savior, he is with you to the end of the age. And all the things that he allows to happen in our lives, it absolutely is with a heart to work those things for his glory and for our good. Not all things are good, but God absolutely works all things for good in the life of the believer. And then he says, you who dwell between the cherubim shine forth. And let's remember that tonight, that our God dwells between the cherubim. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, 1, the Lord has said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Our God indeed is on the throne. I know I hear that at times. Let's not let that, you know, when we share that with one another, hey, God's on the throne don't, that, don't let that become a vain phrase that's just thrown out there without meaning. Sometimes we do that. Praise the Lord can become like, hey, how's it going? These things are truth. And when we say that and we remind each other with that, let's remember that. Yes, my God is on the throne. My Lord is ruling and reigning upon high. And my Lord even said that the things in the world today will look the way the world looks today in his scripture. And he told us that our hearts shouldn't be troubled. He told us it's a fallen world, and yet he's coming back soon to establish his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. And in Christ Jesus, we know that we will rule, that we will reign with him, and the day will come when, listen, there will be a just judge over the earth ruling with a rod and iron, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he cries out, shine forth. And this is something that comes up in this psalm, which we're going to you know, kick the pace up here in a minute, that comes up several times. Shine forth, Lord. Shine your face upon us. It's Asaph recognizing that there's a call for us to walk in the light and asking the Lord to shine his light upon them. Shine forth your light into a darkened path that we can see, that we can be led by you. And it's a prayer that we should have. Shine forth, Lord. Shine your face upon us. Lord, we're looking to you. We need you. We need you to illuminate the situation so that we can be led by you. And then he says in verse 2: Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. So this was an acknowledgement. And these are three of the tribes of Israel. I think this could absolutely you know what be a picture of all the tribes of Israel he chooses three here and Ephraim and Manasseh in particular were very large tribes and Benjamin you know what at times was a flourishing tribe and so he says listen before these tribes before these mighty tribes stir up your strength and it's an acknowledgement of though they were mighty outwardly they were recognizing we're weak without you Lord we're but dust without you We need you. And listen, you want to know when the Lord can work strong in your life? It's when you humble your heart and you recognize how frail we are. That we're but dust. That we're nothing without Him. It's when we start thinking that we're something that we get into trouble. And there's a grieving of the Holy Spirit. And a correction of the Lord. As the proverb says, pride goes before the fall. But when we humble our hearts before the Lord... You know what, as Paul said there in 2 Corinthians twelve ten, he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, that opens the floodgates for the work of the Holy Spirit, for the Lord to exalt us in due time, because when there's a heart of humility, we want to exalt the Lord all the time. And then he says, come and save us. And again, it's a crying out to the Lord. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need your intervention. Lord, we need for you to come and work and move. And listen, sometimes that's all the prayer can be. Sometimes we don't even know how we should pray, or maybe we don't know the right words. And listen, a prayer like this, Lord, show your strength, shine upon us, come and save us. Lord, you know all the details. God, you don't even need me to reiterate the details that I know when you know all the details. And you don't even need my two cents in it of how, you know what, everything should pan out. All I know is that we need you to move, we need you to flex your muscles, we need for you to shine your face on us, and we need for you to come in and save this situation. Bringing that before the Lord continues. I think that's a good prayer for us tonight, for our nation tonight. Verse 3 says, restore us, O God. Again, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And so it's a cry for restoration. And indeed, praise God, he's a God who restores We talked about this Sunday in our study in Acts as we looked at the prophet Joel as Peter was quoting the prophet Joel there on the day of Pentecost, telling them that prophecy was being fulfilled in their midst as the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And we talked about the prophet Joel, how he prophesied to the children of Israel that they were going to go into a captivity in that they were to repent and get their eyes upon the Lord And then he gave them an assurance that even in the trial, God would be faithful and that he would restore what the locusts have eaten. And I praise God. I thank God for that. Listen, I I have seen the Lord. You know what? Asaph is giving a testimony here. Listen, I can give a testimony and bear witness in my life that we have a God that restores what the locusts eat. I know that firsthand. And coming to the Lord as a young man and having a life that had been ravished by the locust, so to speak, because of sin and my choices and my actions, and seeing God not only forgive me, but begin to restore me and renew my mind and set me on a path of service of Him, a path of life when I was on a path of death, when I didn't deserve any of it. And I've seen over and over again in my life as a follower of Christ and as a minister Where locusts came in because of my bad decisions or sinful actions that perhaps I even justified as something that was good. Maybe there were good aspects of it. Or even times when, you know what, trials came in that perhaps were a trial of perfection that God brought, where it seems like things were getting whittled away and taken away. And then God working through those things for greater good. And you know what, to, to grow and shape and mold and redirect and so forth. And absolutely, he is the Lord and the God who does that. And it's why it's so important, and listen, when the locusts come in and begin to eat away, we don't start shaking our fists and say, why, God? But instead we say, oh, Lord, we need you, God. What are you trying to show us? Let us humble our hearts before you. Search me, God, and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me, and if there is, remove it, and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, begin to restore with the locusts of Eden through your hand of restoration, and indeed, he'll be faithful. Listen, tonight, maybe you're watching, and you know what your life looks like? Super locusts have come through, and everything has been chewed down, and it just looks like there's no hope. I want to tell you there's hope in Jesus Christ. As long as you have breath in your lungs the bible says whoever calls upon the name of the lord will be saved and if you're a christian brother or sister who haven't been walking in the light but in the darkness and as a result the lord has allowed the locust to come in and chasten you it is time to humble your heart to call upon the lord to repent and allow the lord to begin to shine his face upon you and bring healing in your land he'll be faithful to do that again restore us O god cause your face to shine upon us and we shall be saved. And then in verse four, he says, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? Again, they're in a place where they're under an oppression. We know that Israel and God were in a covenant and he had said, listen, if you shun my ways, oppression is going to come upon you. I'm not going to hear your prayers. I'm going to allow you to be chastised to bring you back to where you need to be and that's the picture of a loving father and so in the midst of this asaph and most likely many others were crying out to the lord in the midst of this lengthy trial of correction and he asked the question how long how long is this going to last and boy it's easy to get into a trial and begin to cry out how long how long lord I know what's going on right now. A lot of people are saying, how long? How long is this going to happen? How long, you know what, are we going to be in a place where we're being told that you can't come and congregate together? How long is this going to unfold for? How long until I get to go back to work? How long before we can get going back to business, going back to athletics, going back to these things that... God gave us to enjoy that we're not allowing, being allowed to enjoy right now. And listen, the question shouldn't be how long. You know what it should be? Lord, shape me right now, God. Burn away the dross out of my life right now. Lord, strengthen me right now. Lord, let your perfect timing prevail. Because listen, what's going on in the world today is not a surprise to God. He knew it was going to happen before it happened. He knows even the reasons behind it. He knows, again, as there's a lot of people saying, why is this going on? And a lot of questions, and I think a lot of good questions, and I think we should question things. We're called to test all things, and we should do that. But listen, what we do know for sure is that God is allowing it to happen. And I can guarantee you as a follower of Jesus Christ... Are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, say amen to that. Maybe type it in right now. Amen, he's my Lord and Savior. We can know this. God has allowed this trial to come and to affect us as individuals and a church. And instead of saying how long, we should say, okay, Lord, this is what's going on. Shape me right now. Mold me right now. Prepare me for what you have next right now. Let me thank you right now and rest in you right now, knowing that your perfect timing indeed will prevail. Verse 5, it says, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. And again, he's talking about Israel in the midst of the trial. They'd gone from the foolish house of laughter into a place of mourning before the Lord. And indeed, it is a foolish thing to continually to be in the house of feasting. And never to visit the house of mourning. Listen, it's better to cry now and smile later than to smile now and to cry later. And uh, there's some famous tattoos that some people have of, you know, those faces. Smile now, cry later. Better to cry now smile later. And they had been smiling, no doubt, in rebellion. And now God had brought an affliction upon them, not to harm them, but to bring them back to him. And we get this instruction in the Word. It's, you know, what a call to have a sober mentality in life. To understand that, yes, there's pleasures in life and and moderation. There's nothing wrong with enjoying them and thanking the Lord for them. But when we just live for the passing pleasures of the world, when we love pleasure more than God, that is a foolish, foolish pursuit. The end of that is death. In Ecclesiastes 7.2, Solomon said, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. In a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Again, in a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. And I'd hope even right now as a follower of Christ you know what is a lot of things have been shut down that we would recognize listen this can be a good thing for people to humble their hearts in hopes that they would begin to be more thankful to God who's blessed us with so many freedoms that we'd be more appreciative of all that God has bestowed upon us because yes sometimes God will bring to us bring us to him through correction but Romans also says that his kindness leads us to repentance and yet when men aren't thankful for that kindness They're going to get blinded to the call to repentance. Verse 6, he says, You have made us a strife to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. And in this pattern with Israel, when they would come to a place of oppression that the Lord would allow, it almost always came because Israel would forsake God to pursue the world's idols. They would go and party with the world trying to find life. And when the believer behaves like the world and the church operates under the philosophies of the world, hear this. Listen, not only does it make no impact upon the world, it actually destroys our witness and we as followers of the Lord become a joke to the world. Because he says, you made us a strife to our neighbors. Strife means we're a joke to them. They laugh at us. And then he says, here, our enemies laugh among themselves. (sighs) Laughing that they make no impact. They say they follow God, but they act just like us. And no doubt as well, laughing that the Lord was chastening them, even rejoicing in the oppression that come upon them. And beautifully, listen, we get instruction from Asaph here. Instead of being sidetracked by the wicked, acting like wicked men, we need to cry out to him. We need to say, Lord, forgive us, save us, restore us, direct us, shine upon us, and we're going to be saved. And how sad is it, is it to be in a place such as that and refusing to cry out, refusing to call out to the Lord. I was thinking about that, and I thought about another Old Testament king, King Asa. And you can read about him in 2 Chronicles 16. He was one of the kings of Judah. And when Asa was a young man, a young king, I should say, they were in a place where Egypt attacked them with a million-man army. And listen, that's a large army by today's standards. In the ancient world, this is, this is something like a plague coming upon you. No doubt all the forecasters said, we're going to lose Our economy is going to be destroyed. We're going to be taken into captivity. This is the end. A million Egyptians that are well-trained are coming against us, and they're going to run us into the ground. And you know what Asa did? Asa cried out to God, and he put his dependence upon God. And he stood in the promises of God that God had brought Israel together to bring the Savior of the world forth, and God intervened and gave them victory when it looked like surely gloom and doom was going to prevail. Later, Asa, as an older king, is in a familiar place again. This time, his brothers to the north, the nation of Israel, because at this point, Israel and Judah are split. They're threatening to come against Asa and Judah. And for the most part, Israel's kings were ungodly. And he's threatening Asa to come against him. And as an older man, instead of saying, listen, God saved us from a million-man Egyptian army. Surely, he's going to save us from these men that know better. But instead of doing that, you know what he did? He went and he hired the king of Syria to protect them. And they diverted the problem. The problem went away. Syria went and he attacked some of the cities there of Israel. And it seemed to all go away. And it seemed fine. But then a prophet led by the Lord came to Asa and he said, listen, because you have done this, well, first of all, he says to him, and I'll read it in 2 Corinthians sixteen nine. he says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those hearts who are loyal to him. And then he says, in this you've done foolishly, therefore, from now on, you'll have wars. You've done something foolish here. God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are him. And you've seen it before. You saw him go before you and defeat a million-man army, but because you've done this, because you didn't cry out to God, but instead you took things into your own hands, you're going to have war from here forward. And you would think at that point, Asa, having seeing the hand of God and be familiar with God, would have fallen on his face and say, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, we serve a God of forgiveness, a God of restoration, a God who's opposed to the proud, but who gives grace to the humble. Asa had sinned, but we have a God of grace who no doubt would have forgiven him and met him where he was at. But instead, Asa didn't humble his heart. He refused to cry out. It says in verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer, And put him in prison. And he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, indeed, they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, he became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. How sad is that? A man who knew of the Lord, a man who had seen the mighty hand of God prevail. And then he backslid and walked in the council and the ways of the world. And the Lord called him out on it. And he had a choice to make there. Am I going to humble my heart and say, Lord, forgive me? Or am I going to harden my heart and shake my fist to God and go oppress the people of God who are here loving me in the name of God, trying to encourage me to walk in truth? And he hardened his heart. And he sought the physicians, the hand of man versus the hand of God. And as a result, listen, his feet were diseased the rest of his life. In other words, he made no impact on earth because when your feet are diseased, you're immobilized. You can't do a thing. Oh, Lord, let that not be us. Quickly here, verse 8, he says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled the land. And the hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. And she sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. And Asaph is recalling the faithfulness of God to Israel. You established us like a vineyard into you know what the land and you set our roots deep and you made us a mighty nation god had done that and listen the lord's done that for us in a greater way through the work of the cross of calvary if jesus is your lord you've been established in christ and now his desire is that we would walk with christ and abide in christ and bear fruit, and that's what God's desire for Israel was. But notice verse 12, he says, Why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit and bore out the woods, the woods uproot and and bore out the woods uproots it, and the wild beast of the field devours it. He says, You established us to bear fruit, yet we're in disarray. Why? Was it because of God's lack of faithfulness? No, it was their sin. They had pushed him out. You see the pattern of that in the Old Testament with Israel, with Judah. And listen, let's make sure that's not us. As a follower of Christ, are you walking in the light of Christ? You know the Bible says, let all who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Listen, holiness is not a bad word. It's a good thing. It's called wanting to walk with the Lord in his ways. Wanting to be in that place where we're walking with a sober mind, where we're not in a place of saying, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm going to go walk in the darkness, away from the light of Christ, and I'm going to allow the devourer to come in and devour me. Because again, in that covenant they had, the Lord said, listen, if you shun me, the devourer is going to come in, and your your fruit's going to be plucked up, your trees are going to be uprooted, your hedge is going to be broken down. We're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary of the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. Resist him. Listen, you know how you resist the devil? It's quite simple. You draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. It says resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You draw near to God, you walk in the light. And they hadn't been doing that. And as a result the devourer came in maybe that's the case tonight with you the devourer has been running amok your joy is gone there's not an unction a power of the holy spirit's not evident in your life you don't got a zeal for god to worship god you're walking on things that are not of not of god and it's pleasurable for a season but that's it and death is set in listen humble your heart and come back to Cry out, Lord, shine your face upon me, and don't give them lip service. Do real business with God. Verse 14: Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you have made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Again, a cry: Return, Lord. Come, restore the vine. They've cut it down, but they're going to perish at your rebuke. Again, they were under oppression. And he's saying, Lord, at your rebuke, the oppressor will be cut down. We're in a place as followers of Christ where we're engaged in spiritual warfare. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't sin and give the devil a foothold. Don't let him get a grip on you. Call out to the Lord. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Watch the Lord come and intervene and start to work. Oh boy, he is so faithful. He is so good. In fact, he's yearning for us to cry out to him, to say, Lord, we need you. You know why? Because he's a jealous God and he loves you so much and he knows what he has for you is so much better than the idols and the demons and the devils of this world have to offer. And boy, they make things look really pretty, don't they? I think of Proverbs where it talks about the young man being lured into the house. Again, the illustration given, being lured into the house by the woman whose lips ripped with oil. Foolishly, not knowing that, you know what, you go in there and the stairs there, they lead down to hell. Pleasure for a season, but the end it brings forth, Death. They perish at your countenance. And then in verse 17, he says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man who you you have made strong for yourself. And listen, this is a two-part word here. This is a, a prophetic utterance about the Messiah who would come, the man of his right hand, the son of man who the father made strong for himself. Praise God for Jesus. Jesus Christ, who came in the strength of the Father, to the will of the Father, who said, if you see me, you see the Father, to go to the cross. No ordinary man could do that. It had to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, God who took on the form of man, who went to the cross, who bore our sins, who death could not hold down, who rose from the grave and defeated sin, death, and Satan, that whoever calls on his name will be saved. And indeed, if you have, you are. And if you haven't, you can. And I'll tell you from there, God wants to strengthen us. God wants his hand upon us. God wants to go before us. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 1, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace that's where? Where's grace found? In Christ Jesus. And number one, knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and then walking in Christ Jesus. Taking up your cross and following Christ Jesus. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Not I'm in Christ, but I live in darkness, but I'm in Christ and I walk in the light. And when darkness comes in, I quickly bring it to the Lord and say, God, wash us away. Oh Lord, shine your face on us afresh. Excuse me. Verse 18, we're almost finished here. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. And notice here, he's saying, You come and you strengthen us, God. And when you strengthen us, then we won't turn back from you. I love this because Asaph isn't so foolish to say, Lord, if you give us another chance, we won't do it again. That's a foolish prayer because we have a tendency to do things again. Have you noticed that? He's saying, Lord, you come and strengthen us. You shine your face upon us. You meet us where we're at. As he's humbling his heart and saying, we need you, then as you strengthen us, as you shine your face on us, then we won't turn back as we look to you and we lean on you then you can come in and you can revive us as we have called upon your name and acknowledge we need you and absolutely that we need to walk in the light that you want to shine upon us. Revive us. Listen, you cannot have revival without first having repentance. And there's a repentance going on here. You can't have revival unless you first have humility. And there's humility here. To revive, it means to give new strength, to give new energy, to bring back to life. The prophet Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Notice here to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Really, what it comes down is surrendering to the Lord. We need you, God. We're nothing without you. Revive us, wash us, cleanse us. And he's crying out, help us. We need your help, Lord. We need you going before us. We need your face shining upon us. And then he closes the psalm Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Again, the restoration, again. He's the God who restores. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. And then once again, he says, Cause your face to shine upon us, or to shine, excuse me, and we shall be saved. Shine your face. Shine your face upon us. We have such an awesome God. Listen, at his word, everything changes. I had this marked earlier in the message and I didn't share it, but I want to close in it. Again, in verse three, he said, cause your face to shine upon us and we shall be saved. He closes in verse 19. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. It's that picture, Lord, there's darkness here, but if you just shine your face The floodlight of Christ will come, and immediately everything will be changed. You know, at his word, everything changes. I think sometimes as we wrestle and struggle through things, we're thinking, oh, boy, it's such a mighty mountain. Boy, if God comes, maybe he can move it an inch. And we forget that, listen, God's the one that made that mountain, allowed it to be there for whatever reason. And in his word, that mountain could become not just a molehill, but nothing. When God gets involved and we allow God to get involved, I should say, things begin to change for his glory, for his praise, for our good. Think about Jesus and the disciples. When they're out there on the boat again, they're at the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, a lot of different names for us, for it. But in Luke 8, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm, a windstorm came on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. They cried out to the Lord, and guess what? At his word, everything changed. And then they stepped back and they said, who is this that even at his word, the wind and the sea obey him? It was God Almighty Is who that is. Cry out to him. Lord God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you for Psalm 80. Oh, Lord, how blessed are we are to open your word tonight, and be able to study it together, God. Lord God, as we close in prayer, Lord, I... Just want to pray, God, once again for, Lord, all those tonight, God, that have been with us and the Lord willing, those that will view this in the future. First of all, God, we want to just lift up the body of Christ to you, Lord. I just want to pray, God, that, Lord, you'd shine your face upon us afresh, God. And God, I pray, God, that we would understand, Lord, that revival is predicated upon repentance and humility oh lord god let us humble our hearts before you lord god where we've strayed from you lord where we've made it more about us and not about you lord where we've adopted god the ways of the world like israel did when the oppression came upon them lord wash us and cleanse us and help us as individuals god oftentimes we talk about a sweeping revival across the land and yet You want to revive each one of us every single day. And I would hope right now, God, that each one of us would say, yes, Lord, revive me. Yes, Lord, help me. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Yes, Lord, strengthen me. Shine your face upon me so that I can be a shining light to the world around me, pointing those around me to Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight with us and you don't know the Lord Jesus, he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he went to the cross of Calvary to take the wrath due you and me upon himself. He's a holy God. Listen, sin is not going to enter into glory. It just isn't. And unless our sins are washed, neither will we. The Lord wants to cleanse you tonight and forgive you and be your Lord and Savior. Humble your heart before him. Call out to him. Ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. Tell him you believe he died on the cross and rose to the grave to be your savior. And ask him to meet you where you are. Ask him to help you. To help you turn from the ways of the world. To help you to repent to turn from what's doing your, right in your own eyes and serving yourself, to say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. Meet me where I'm at. And listen, the word of God says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon Christ right now, and he'll meet you right where you're at right now. Lord, we thank you again for our time here. I just pray, God, that you would shine your face upon us, Lord. We just thank you that you're so good to us, and we pray these sayings In Jesus' mighty name. Well, listen, I want to thank you guys for joining us, for worship, for the word. I can't encourage you enough to share this with other folks. I know on Facebook it's real easy just to share it with others. We want the message of the gospel and of God's word to go far and wide. And it's a simple way that you can partake of that and sharing these messages with other people. We've been getting just phenomenal responses from the the studies that have been online and we've all we've done this for a long time but it seems like there's a real hunger out there where people are wanting to hear the truth I've been just blown away by how many people have been following and coming to the page and and so many ministry opportunities are coming out of that I think the Lord's doing a lot of great and mighty things right now so again encourage you guys to share this be in prayer I know that you are and let's just continue to Again, bring these things before the Lord, and I encourage you as well, be looking for ministry opportunities now. Our God is very, very creative, and there's all kinds of opportunities to minister, and again, it starts even just right on our knees before the Lord. That's, that's the act of a minister, and probably one of the most effective uh, you know, what, ways we can minister is, is through prayer, so I encourage you in that, and then just a reminder, this Sunday at nine a.m., the service will stream Resurrection Sunday. We're going to have worship. We'll have a full worship set. Um, you know what? A, 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 a message of of Christ's death and resurrection, a salvation message, which will be full of encouragement and edification for you, the believer, as well. And then from nine or from excuse me, eleven to one in the parking lot, we're going to have drive-through prayer and encouragement. We'll have food available if you need food. And we're going to have a gift bag for all the kids that are going to, it's going to be full of things that, you know, little treats and things, curriculum, along with the online teaching for the kids about the resurrection of Christ, which we're hoping you go home and, you know, you enjoy with them as, uh, you know, you minister to your kids the things of the Lord. So again, God bless you tonight and uh, may the Lord shine his face upon you.